As we go through life, our paths take different turns. Sometimes we enter peaks, others we enter valleys. But no matter the situation, it can always end on a happier note. Collaborative divorce, co-parenting, relationships. Kansas City attorney Alyssa Hodges is here to help you navigate it all. Welcome to Happier Note Radio. Are you having a good day? I hope so. Welcome back to Happier Note Radio. This is Alyssa Hodges. Today we have a special guest with us, as promised. Uh, I will introduce her in just a moment. But first, if you don't know about Happier Note, you can go to happiernote.com. We are a website that helps connect you with experienced professionals who can help you make a plan for your family during a breakup. You can also subscribe to our podcast, Happier Note Radio, anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Music, uh, Amazon Music, Spotify. And if you hear something in this podcast that you think would help someone else, please consider sharing it. Today, our special guest is Angela Stevens. She is the owner of Bright Wisdom Therapy and she is licensed in marriage and family therapy. Angela, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Angela Stevens, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I also have my MS in uh, general psychology and um, just have a, a big interest in uh, family courts and, and working with families through their transition out of you know divorce and high-conflict situations. So. Okay, and I noticed on your website that you have your your bachelor's degree in legal studies. Can you tell me how you got into that? I do. Uh, my my uh, corporate career has always been human resources. So in human resources, you do a lot of employment law. Um, you know, you fight EEOC claims and, and just a whole lot of employee relations issues. So the bachelor's degree came about as a result of just all things complementary. I think it was very helpful to the field. And uh, as I grew up, so did psychology and and counseling, to be honest, because you deal with so many employees going through uh, similar issues. They, they're going through divorce. Um, you happen to work through quadros with them, um, child support, um, you know, just you name it, just a whole gamut of, of stuff. That, that's not very fun to have to traverse and, and, and be successful at your job at the same time. So all of the education that I've had is just very complementary to the field of HR. And now that I'm older and, and have quite a bit of experience there, this is kind of where this is where my passion is. I've veered out into marriage and family therapy. That's awesome. What What advice do you usually give to people whenever they're breaking up? Oh, goodness. You know, the first advice I typically tell them is to stay out of the family courts, right? Yes. Uh, this, the idea behind that is because once you are in a, a court of law, uh, the judge now has control over your future and your family's future and how things are going to be divided, including your children. So, uh, you know, if you can work with the families early on in divorce, which is just a very devastating time for most of them, regardless if they're the one leaving or not. It's a big, big, big transition in life. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of extremely high emotions going on, 
And they may come out of this thinking, oh, yeah, well, we'll just go fill out the paperwork and we'll be divorced when life goes on. And along the course of the way, there are these sort of oppositional stances that are, uh, that are taken, um, whether those are escalated by some, unfortunately, in the legal field, um, or whether it's just because there's a lack of, of any kind of therapeutic intervention uh, and, and people are frustrated and just really don't know how to traverse the situation. So um, I would certainly tell them to come and see you know, a therapist or somebody that would give them some level of support to help them try to at least work through those initial stages without the involvement of anything legal. Yeah, so if someone were to contact you today, how long do you think that it would take for them to get an appointment with you? Oh, I can see them within just a couple of days. So, um, you know, I have telehealth available. I have on-site visits available. So I'm very flexible with my time, and I'm also very generous with my time. So I like to uh, make the families feel like not only are they in the in the presence of somebody who is compassionate and understands them, um, but but that that I'm genuine and and I really want to help them and give them uh, some relief in some way as quickly as possible. Uh, in therapy, we use certain tools, uh, certain things that we've learned throughout our specialized training uh, to help guide them in those ways. Um, and as you probably know, there are some folks that are very receptive to those methods. And then, um, you know, if, if they're not receptive to those things, then we would need to kind of move on to something different. But uh, in general, I think if they come early into a therapeutic setting, uh, that can really change the path that they go on as they move forward in a more productive and healthy way. Yeah. So in, the, in those two days while they're waiting to see you, what would you recommend that they do? Well, if they are communicable and they're able to work with each other, as we see, I mean, that's always a possibility, then certainly continue to do that and not include the child or children in any adult-like conversations. You know, if they have to have some kind of conversation that includes bills or what are we going to do about this, generally speaking about divorce and how that separation is going to work, you know, seeing as it's so early on, try to have that as an adult conversation away from the children. However, in situations where it really is high conflict from the get-go and, and they just can't agree on anything, then my, my advice is always to have a safe space and stay away from each other during that time frame until we can get together and see what's going on and try to work through some of those issues properly. Yeah, definitely. So have you been able to help couples um, separate amicably? Absolutely. I think... Uh, you know, when you think about mediation uh, and conciliation, those things are always um, atop my mind. What what can we do today uh, that 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 gives each party a voice so that we can come to a formidable solution that's going to have staying power, right? Right. Um, they, that's just all critical. They they have they each have to feel like they're heard. They each have to have a voice. And they have to come to the most critical there. They have to come to a formidable solution that they are willing to stick by. And, and in many cases, once they get there, they can. Uh, they're not going to um, really value a decision that's made by you or me. 
if I tell them, hey, you have to do this, well, I'm not a, a judge. It's, there's no court order. And, and they may feel different ways, so they're going to go do whatever they want to do. Uh, the, the most formidable uh, decisions that I've seen made are, are those that are made by those individuals collaboratively, right, with a therapist. Um, so I don't try to tell them what to do. I try to give them the skills necessary so that they can uh, successfully affect whatever the decision is that they they initially wanted to, to make happen. How can we do that? How can we do it amicably? What's best for the kids? And let's see how we can work through that. And I encourage them to come back and ask questions. And, and if you need any help, let me know, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing I tell my clients is that the judge doesn't know your family like you do. So you can make a better plan for your family than any judge ever could. Um, and then you don't have to go back through modification after modification. Right. Because, you know, as as things get escalated for whatever reason um, and, and family court gets involved, there are inevitably orders that one person's going to be happy about. Maybe maybe the other person isn't going to be so happy about. So there's going to be this anger, and I don't like to, I don't like to refer to that as somebody just being vindictive. You know, I'm, I, you got me. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna win this. It's not nobody wins in the family court. Nobody, That's right. nobody wins. Um, but what I think that the parents feel is. This is the one thing that, you know, look, you've heard the term mama bear. Um, your children are kind of the one thing that if you don't have your children or something goes wrong with your children, you're going to fight for them. So I think people get out of the mindset of vindictiveness. They, they're not there just to fight you as the opposing party. They're there to fight for their children with everything that they have. And this causes extreme emotions. I've had a group of, of over 3,000 women for about five years now that I work with. Uh, they're called Mothers Erased. And I've worked with them and, and shared in their battles. And some of them, over the course of the time, have committed suicide. Uh, there has been felicide. There has been, uh, you know, uh, homicide, uh, so familial, uh, people taking their lives over these court matters. And it's because they just get so inundated with the fact that this is my child and you're not going to take my child away from me under no circumstance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it can get very out of hand and, and very quickly. So the, the, the thought of having some kind of uh, immediate or early intervention as it relates to therapeutic reform is, is something I find very valuable uh, to the people and critical. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's important that people work with you before they get to that point so that they can learn how to manage their emotions so they don't get to that point. Um, yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm. It's great that you're involved with them. I'm going to look them up. So what advice would you give to attorneys um, as a therapist? Because we, we all have different perspectives. Um, what advice would you give to attorneys who are working with these families? Well, you know, uh, the attorney is is essentially the fact finder in the courtroom. You know, that the judge is not, I'm not, that, that's the attorney's job is to find as many facts as he can on his party's side. And they're going to do whatever it is they see fit, obviously, in the courtroom. Um, 
you know, I've, I've sat in many, many, many court cases over the years. I've, I've done that for about 10 years, just so you know, sitting in. I've seen where you have really good attorneys that did their homework, knew the facts, was able to present the evidence in such a way that the judge understood. And I've also seen attorneys that are straight out colluding with the other attorney behind somebody's back. They've made the decision that this person would be better than that parent to to parent the children. So they're trying to affect that agenda. I've seen great judges, and I've seen judges that would rather be doing their grocery list. (laughs) And then some of them make the right decision, and some of them don't. I've seen judges look at literally video of child abuse and still give that abuser the custody of the children. So, you know, it, it just kind of makes you wonder what on earth is going in the courtroom here. And, and again, this is why you don't want the parents to go straight into a court of law, because literally anything can happen. I have a, a, a bachelor's in legal, as you, as you pointed out, and I can tell you my experience inside the courtroom uh, of, a, of a family law judge. It, it, it doesn't uh, coincide with all of the things that I read from a from a lawful perspective, right? Of how things should be. There are definitely some gaps. Um, you know, in, in any case, what I would say to you uh, in terms of what the the attorneys, uh, what advice would I give them? Um, they're not they're not marriage and family therapists, right? They they haven't trained in counseling. They don't know the therapeutic models. But try to just bring in that inherent compassion that you have because these are very um, difficult times uh, for people, you know, when you're divorcing and you have children. I can't think of a more difficult time to have to go through in your life. Whether you still love that partner or whether you're just angry and done with it, you still have children involved. And it's it's such a difficult thing to get through. And attorneys aren't there to be therapists right right they're there to try to win the case so so if if it were me you know if if I could uh you know and I know that there are many scholars out here who have different thoughts about what therapeutic reform could look like and I do believe that our family courts are valuable and that we still need to have those in place um I, I think that in my mind I would have a divorcing family, especially one that's in high conflict on their own, I would have them come to therapy for some period of time, almost like almost like the court sometimes will require families to have tried mediation before they come into a court of law, right? Mm-hmm. They'll say, if you haven't had mediation, then you're not going to be in my family court. And, and so it's analogous to that. Like, if you haven't been through counseling for X period of time, then you don't belong in my family court. So it's another piece of the pie that you could put in place, I think, as a preventative measure uh, so so that the courts aren't inundated. Keep in mind when they're inundated, obviously, they can't function and do all the things that they'd like to be able to do either. Absolutely. I was just talking to an appellate attorney the other day who usually gets a certain type of case once a year, and she says she has five right now. Um, and so wow. that just tells me that the courts are overloaded right now. And so they're making um, some mistakes, unfortunately. So I agree with right, you. Right. And not so much that they may be making mistakes. That's very possible. But also, you know, people will, unfortunately, there are people, and I've seen it in the 10 years, there are people that will abuse the system. Uh, you know, a court order will come out and it's not one they're happy with. 
then they'll file another uh, court order. You know, they'll file another appeal or another motion that the judge has to hear. They'll keep it going. And in some cases, maybe that party got everything that they asked for. And now, because they've gotten everything they've asked for, now they want more. They really Mm -hmm. want to bury the other parent. I've heard people literally say, I'm not going to stop until I've buried you. So this is a just a nasty, nasty thing. We want to try to de-escalate as early as possible. And if that means therapeutic intervention, if that means, you know, therapeutic intervention with an attorney uh, or with a mediator or an arbitrator, then, then those things are all fine and well. But I think there's a large demographic out here that could really use some kind of services before they're going into a court of law, parenting training classes. Those are always, I think, very helpful. Um, you know, they cost money. Uh, some folks can't afford things. But if you could just get them to at least one training class, the, the stuff that they learn in there is not common sense. And it is very useful information to help them. So yeah. there's so many different flavors of intervention long before we have to get to a, a court of law, where, again, the, the, the attorneys are the fact finders. The judge is not. So what does that mean? That means that the judge has about 15 or 20 minutes total that he has the ability or she has the ability to spend on your family's case. And the, the attorneys on both sides have to make their case in 15, 20 minutes in many cases about your livelihood, your whole family, and decide where your children are going to live, who's going to have legal responsibility for their education and their medical uh, and everything else. So, uh, you know, uh, as I said before, many judges would rather be doing their 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 uh, their grocery list in that period of time. <laughs> and they don't have all the facts. So I don't want somebody that just met me that doesn't have any facts and, and doesn't really care to pay attention sometimes, just depending on how you find the judge. Sometimes the judges are in a great mood. It's early in the morning. Sometimes they're not in a very good mood, and they don't like the fact that you're there in front of them fighting with each other instead of being proper parents. Oh yeah. I always, I always explain it to my clients. Like you are, you're in the back seat of the car fighting with each other. And the judge is like the parent who just wants you to stop fighting. They don't care whose fault it is. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, you know, there is, there is a lot of law of the land, if you will, or, or high court opinions uh, that, that really matter. Uh, for example, I'll give you the uh, 14th Circuit down there in Texas. Uh, they believe that no parent-child relationship should be interfered with without the presence of some kind of significant evidential standard, right? So, you know, a video of you beating your child or raping your child, whatever it might be, and we see some ugly things, as you know. Um, and unfortunately, this isn't always the case when you get into a court of law. You, again, if I were speaking to attorneys, if I were speaking to parents, which I would love to do just based on my experiences, you're not always going to go in front of a judge that is, has any level of enthusiasm or integrity. And, and yes, that's a problem, but they have quite a bit of discretion and immunity over your case. As long as they're sitting there in their robe and doing their job, there's not a lot of ways that you can go back and say that judge was really bad. Uh, they, they watched this video of this abuse and still gave him my children. They, they, they're not held accountable for these things. So the point of the matter is, look, long before you ever have to get in front of the big judge, 
you know, work with, work with therapy, work with, uh, you know, a mediator or mediate, you know, arbitrators. I'm, I'm working on, um, I, I have mediation skills and high education uh, level in it, but I, I don't have a certification, so I'm working on that. And I'm also working on my certification in complex trauma and PTSD uh, because these are some of the symptoms that we see on the other end of family court and high, uh, high conflict divorce. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. I would personally love to uh, say, okay, if, if you aren't willing to compromise through therapy and we've been, we've been in therapy for you know, six, seven months to a year, and there's just literally no compromise, then I would be happy to say, okay, let's, let's see if we can figure out something with a mediator or an attorney. In many cases, they are attorneys as well. <laughs> and, and see if we can't come to a formal agreement, you know, something formalized that we can present to the court and say, okay, they agree on this. This is what we're going for, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And if there was someone who is in that situation where they, they probably need six to seven months of counseling, but let's say that they don't have the financial resources for it, um, let's say they've been a stay-at-home parent for the duration of the marriage, what would you recommend that they do? Well, and keep in mind, uh, I want to just mention as it relates to therapy specifically that we take different insurances. Uh, we take Medicaid. Uh, in many cases, we take Medicare. Uh, we'll take, um, if, if, the, if the therapist is on the panel, they'll take a Blue Cross Blue Shield or an Aetna or something like that. So you can always reach out and see uh, what insurances the provider takes. And in many cases, we operate on what's called a sliding scale. So this is an income-based uh, payment situation we're working out with you. Uh, so if you don't have an income, rather than charging you the $150 an hour, we would charge the, the guy that's over here working full-time. We might charge you $50 or $20. It just depends on what the situation is and if we have the room and, and availability to take it on. So we try to provide, um, you know, social services uh, as much as we possibly can. And I would say one of the things about marriage and family therapists specifically uh, is that there's a great history of the courts working with um, licensed practitioners who are um, uh, psych psychological professionals or LPCs. These are individuals that are trained to deal specifically with individual uh, uh, pathologies or problems. So if you came in to me and I'm an LPC, then I'm looking for a diagnostic, I'm looking for a pathology, and I'm looking to potentially um, uh, manage your medication. Whereas for someone like me, who is a marriage and family therapist, we're highly trained to deal with the familial system. And how is that system impacting every individual within it? And how can we uh, align it to work better? Uh, you know, without blaming one person or the other, without assigning some kind of pathology. And by the way, it is always possible that those diagnostics can exist. And we're highly trained to also see those and get proper help for those as well. So, you know, I've dealt with young, young children, 10, 13 years old, who sat right in front of me and, and, and literally told me that they tried to commit suicide last week because they weren't happy with, you know, what my mom's making me do or what my dad's making me do. 
and and that's something that you really have to kind of get get into the family with and understand how can we collectively help this child and what's going on that would make this child feel so unsupported and so irrelevant and so unloved. We, we need to get to the bottom of that. So that's what we do. Those are the interventions that marriage and family therapists specifically bring to the table. And I think it's just a really good resource for uh, domestic services as it relates to the, to the family court. Yeah, absolutely. I always try to remind my clients that time is the only resource we can't renew. And so your time with your kids is really important. You don't want to spend years in litigation. It's expensive and you, it, it does hurt them. Um, it does. And, and when they go into these family court situations, and let's just say the father gets custody and the mother doesn't, and she gets some kind of visitation throughout the years, it's a trauma point. Uh, you know, that's very traumatic to have been a primary parent or to not have access to your children like you used to. And then the years go by because, you know, this thing can be drug out in any way. So the years go by. And by the time you really fully get to try to experience a relationship with that child, that child is no longer a child. They're an adult. And that adult looks and acts and thinks very differently than they did when they were a child. And so you're, as a parent, you're, uh, you're grieving sort of the loss of that young child that's still alive. And I would say it's almost analogous to ambiguous grief because that person is still there, but they're 20, 25 years old, and they look nothing like they, the, the person that you were grieving for, and they're very different. And so it's, it's just this sort of unexplained, ambiguous grief, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you also work with your clients for to work on acceptance. I know a lot of people really struggle with that um, because, you know, you may have been in a marriage for decades and then all of a sudden everything changes and it divorce touches every area of your life your work your home your kids your finances um, and so sometimes it's hard for people to accept those changes after such a long period of time absolutely and you know as you mentioned um, in in many cases there is a partner that, that in, within the marriage that was typically the breadwinner that went out and made the money and you you had a lot of times, I know that the world is changing. There's so much diversity, but in, even in the, even in situations where you have uh, those diverse type of relationships, you generally still have a situation where somebody's the breadwinner, and the other person was largely responsible for taking care of the children, making sure the you know lunch was made, and their clothes are washed, or whatever it might be. So you come to court. This is all changing. They don't have the same access to the same resources for that reason. Um, there's just so much. And again, as you go through it, it's just a very, very traumatic time in their lives. Uh, their emotions are on high. They're, they're hypervigilant in every sense of the word. And just going through and having all of your visitation ripped away or, you know, all of these additional changes via the court. You know, I, I've always told people this. We have criminal courts to handle criminal behavior. We have civil courts, which falls under that, you know, family law sort of falls under that spectrum or that scope. We have civil courts to uh, discuss and divide assets. But children are not assets. Mm -hmm. And so there really isn't a court. We call it domestic services. We call it family court. There's really not a court in our system that is 
truly well inept to handle uh, the dissolution of marriage uh, when there are children involved. Because we can't just cut the child in half and, and say, here, Dad, you get half, or here, Mom, you get half, or whatever, you know. And so therein lies a really delicate area, uh, again, probably the most important part, where we want to be involved and we want to make sure that we can get them into some kind of a situation that is going to be formidable for all of them. And again, if they both feel like from the get-go, if they both feel like their voices are heard, then my hope is that we don't get to that uh, point where there are these escalating stances and opposing stances, you know, that they understand that, that, look, this child can't be broken in half and you both have to compromise. Now, if you don't want to compromise, that's then by the time we get there, this is going to be well documented. And yes, we may need to move into court services, right? Right. Yeah. People don't realize um, that they tend to talk about their kids like they're property and kids are not property. <laughs> they're yeah. they're part of your family. And no, we can't split them in half, nor would you want to. Um, we and- can't control our children. Like you said, they're not our property. Yep. And... I think I think we get that uh, when when we learn about uh, when we learn firsthand about empty nester syndrome and our kids go off on their own. I think that's really kind of the first time, just from a natural perspective, that we really put two and two together and see that you know what that is actually another living being, and I can only control myself. I can't control them. I have to trust that the values and the morals and the beliefs that I've instilled in them as their mother or as their father are going to be good enough for them to go out there and live a healthy, happy, and productive life. And we have to sort of let them go. So so that's kind of the irony about all of this family court stuff is because, you know, these parents are essentially, in, in some cases, and, you know, they're just various different levels here, uh, but, but in some cases they're not even allowed. Uh, it could be a lawyer. It could be a doctor. It could be – it doesn't just have to be uh, the, the stereotypical – oh, that, per- that mother is a, a street hooker or she's doing drugs or whatever. It doesn't have to be that. It could be you and me. And we go into court of law and the court in two seconds decides, oh, well, you're just not going to have any visitation. For whatever reason, it's never answered because it's the judge and that's what you have to go with. Uh, they have the power. And, and you just, for the rest of your life, you're wondering why you're immediately in shock. And I would say this, there are bona fide um, issues where diagnostics are absolutely needed where and and keep in mind we say where psychological intervention or psychiatric intervention is needed you have some folks that are just addicted to filing motion after motion after motion just to harass the other parent and you know play the court system so there really aren't a lot of um there really are not a lot of tools in place to combat that either. And I've seen that a lot over the years where a judge has the power to say, right, you filed against this person 50 times, knock it off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're, yep. not, they're not doing that. So again, the best bet is to kind of stay out of court, work with the counselor or work with the mediators, potentially work with the attorneys to come to some formidable agreement, but stay out of the court. They don't have the time they don't have the competence. Uh, for example, the judge is not always going to be the expert on 
looking at things from a therapeutic standpoint and saying, you know what, this person has a pathogen. This person has you know, alienating behaviors, and this is very toxic. So we need to uh, figure out what we need to do with that from a therapeutic standpoint so that the child is not adversely impacted by this. Um, the, the judge, is in, it, 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 he's not in a situation to want to deal with that all the time. Yeah, and judges, just like attorneys, most of us are not qualified to diagnose someone or know how to deal with um, personality disorders. And so I think that it's really important that we have mental health professionals be involved in the process so that um, people can get the proper diagnoses or medications that they need. Um, Because it's not just about litigation it's about how is your family going to move forward from here right right and and you know again there are these situations where you have very difficult individuals um whether it be an addicted mom or an addicted dad and they have very significant issues that they need to traverse before they're able to really come back and be productive and healthy in their children's lives and i agree with that i think that there are there's just a bona fide reason to do that sometimes. But barring the presence of those kinds of issues, uh, then then the parent-child relationship, I just truly believe, doesn't need to be interfered with. Uh, it's already stressful enough for the child. And I, I do believe there used to be an old meme that went around, and it was a tree. And the tree had half of its roots taken away. And, and the meme said, you know, this is your child. Uh, when one parent is taken away. What happens to the tree? It stops growing. Well, essentially the same thing that starts happening to the child. It's devastating and it's traumatizing, and so they stop growing. And uh, it's very powerful me. Wow, it sounds like it. If you find that, please email it to me. That would be great. Yeah, I will do. I'm happy to. So. So, yeah, I in this group that I've had, uh, it, it came about because I saw that uh, in general public groups uh, where parents were seeking support after uh, events of parental alienation or they've lost custody in the courts and whatnot, uh, they would come together in these groups for support and it would be integrated, both men and women. And the men would blame the mothers and the mothers would blame the men and say, you're, you know, you have a conglomerate group fighting for all men's rights. Mothers are being chased out of their, their children's lives and so forth. So it just really was more uh, adversarial uh, than, than supportive. So mm-hmm. be, being a woman myself, I just created a group for all mothers. And so we moderate that as much as we can for it being social media, of course. It's a private group. And we try to define and make sure that, yes, everyone coming in is a mother or even a grandmother. And like I said, over the course of the years that I've been doing this, uh, you know, one good example is we had uh, we had a, uh, a anesthesiologist who had graduated from uh, Stanford University. And she, uh, according to her, she was good enough to do her um she was good enough to pay for child support and her child support was over $5,000 a month. She had, I believe it was two children with this man and she was uh, American Indian. Um, and she, you know, there, uh, I would say the culture that she had was if you were to take away my child, that's very embarrassing. It's not something I can live with. You don't, you just don't take children away from the mother, right. In that culture. Mm-hmm. So 
she um, she lost her kids, and 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 the, the judge wouldn't give her any visitation, uh, despite the fact that she was paying this five thousand dollars plus a month in child support. So she had zero; she couldn't access her kids, and she committed suicide uh, for that very reason. That she said, "I'm good enough to pay this money, but I'm not good enough to see my children." And mm. I I failed to see anything within her case that would have said she's not a good mom or she doesn't need to be with her kids. So that didn't need to happen. That needed somebody to intervene and say, why was, you know, what's going on here? There needs to be sometimes a little bit more than just a 20 minute uh, decision made in front of a judge, you know, yeah, because it's impacting people's lives and it's deadly. Well, and those kids are affected moving forward forever because they lost their mom. Absolutely. So, you know, lots of lots of good things and bad things I've seen in the court. Unfortunately, the bad ways far outweighs the good Um, in Texas. Just to just to give you one more and then I'll jump off the bandwagon here. But, you know, in Texas, I followed a case. It was actually on the news and the little girl's name was Leilani and she was four years old. And this was in Tarrant County, Texas. And the, her mother was or had a long history of being on methamphetamines. She was not married with anybody. She was a single mom. But every time she'd get with somebody, they'd abuse her and they'd abuse little Leilani. So Leilani's mom, or Leilani's grandma, I should say, was trying to get custody of, of little Leilani. So she had gone back and forth to the judge in Tarrant County a couple of times and said, hey, this is extremely dangerous. This child is presenting with bruises, blah, 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 and mom's on methamphetamines. And the judge just kept pushing away, saying, I'm not going to sign the the temporary restraining order. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So three different times. And in all those times, the judge never once picked up the phone to find out if there were any active CPS cases, which at the time there actually were three open CPS cases against this mother. The last time that the judge decided not to sign the TRO, the grandmother actually got Leilani back, uh, got custody of Leilani, but she got the custody of Leilani in an urn. The man that the mother went back with murdered Leilani. He beat her to death. So it's these are the types of uh, there are extremes and there's everything underneath of it. You can see mothers today that are starting the process of being alienated. They've never heard of it until they come to our group. They don't understand it. There are mothers that have been dealing with it for six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. The whole way through, they've been in family courts. By the way, going back and forth, having motions put against them, having to retain an attorney every time, having to uh, commission small forces. Uh, just to try to uh, just to try to maintain some type of relationship with their children. So there's a lot of awareness, a lot of education. I think that's needed from attorneys, uh, from other friends of the court, if you will, uh, as to what it looks like. What does it mean when there's alienation going on, or when there's just simply somebody that's not capable of forming some kind of a, a, a formidable solution. And then, again, I think there are many, I think most parents that I've seen would be able to do that uh, with the right interventions. And that's where uh, marriage and family therapy comes in. Yeah. And I I remembered a friend who contacted me. He's in a different state, so I wasn't able to help him because I wasn't licensed there. But he had not seen his daughter in about six months. 
And one of the things that I told him to do is to set up an email account for her and write her letters every day so that eventually once everything got worked out, which thank God it has, um, he now has, they have joint legal, joint physical custody. Um, but he, he did, he would write her letters every day. And so that's what I would, I would recommend to anyone who has been alienated from their kids, write them letters. Um, because even if they can't read them today, someday they will know that you were thinking about them. And that's, that's what we all need from our parents. Yeah, this is a method we call dripping love, and some parents have some access, uh, and they can drip just a little bit of love over to the child. And I think in little amounts, uh, it, it's still instilling into that child that you are their parent, that you are there for them, that you love them, even though they can't, they have no control over it, but they can't be with you. Um, they still see your presence, and where if they don't see your presence and you don't physically have access to them at all, you know, to, to create these memories uh, via some type of, of writing or other um, memory boxes or, or different things I've heard parents do over the years, and to be able to present that to them when they do come around. Uh, because more often than not, even though it might have been some years, I've seen that the children do come back. Uh, they do have questions. They do have answers. Uh, now, unfortunately, while that's the case, uh, they often will then disappear just as quickly as they came back because it's a lot of information for, for them. I can only imagine they get overwhelmed and they go away and they'll be back again someday, right? right? But, yes, all of these things that you can do to cherish, to memorialize uh, your child. And, and, again, you know, writing is certainly a, a, an old, old, old therapeutic intervention. If you can write it, it's, it's a way of getting it out, and it, it can make you feel a lot better. And you can see your progress. I think that's the that's the biggest tool I use when I have my clients write, is that in four or five months, we go back and we look at where you started via the writing. And they can't believe often how far they've come themselves, you know, yeah. with just getting, getting extra tools and, and understanding a different way of thinking about things. Um, I had a addicted mom who... She'd been with me for about four months. Uh, she was required to come to not only court-appointed uh, court therapy with me, but she was also, she had to have visitation, and so I oversaw that separately. And she was an addicted mom, and there were a couple of times when she showed up intoxicated. And um, you know, it took a little while for her to give me any level of trust. Uh, initially, she would say, no, I didn't take any drugs. No, I haven't done this. I haven't done that. But you can tell. And so I, I just kind of was really patient with her. And eventually she came out and she's like, you know what, Angela, I, I hear you. You want me to help you and you want to help me. And in order for me to do that, I have to be honest with myself first and foremost and honest with you. So she finally came out and she's like, I'm on this drug. This is the last time I took it, blah, blah, blah. And she just broke down and said, you know, I am so afraid. And I was so afraid of saying these things because I feel like I'm judged by everybody. Uh, because I'm an addict, and I, I don't know what to do about it. And she said the judge is literally going to sign a piece of paper next week that tells me I'm not the mother of my children, that he's terminating my parental rights. And she's just really breaking down about this. And I just took a piece of paper, and I told her, I said, look, you know, this piece of paper, this blank piece of paper, is the same piece of paper that the judge has. Mm -hmm. And he's going to do something different. He's going to sign his name on it. So what? And she said, what do you mean, so what? I said, well, watch what I do with this piece of paper. And I ripped it up and I threw it all over the floor. And she said, well, what did you do that for? 
And I said, because just like this piece of paper, that piece of paper that the judge has signed has no power in like two or three years when your kids have aged out of the system. She had teenage kids. So they're going to be 18. They're going to be on their own. And you have a very finite period of time to start to focus on you. And you've, you've now come out and said, I'm doing drugs, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And the question needs to be in your mind, are they more important than what you're wanting with your kids? Because it sounds to me like your kids are pretty important too. And she's like, yeah, 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 I just need help, I just need help. And we sent her over here to Mirror, which is local. Uh, they do substance abuse treatment and those kinds of things in classes for parenting. And so we sent her over there, and I couldn't tell you where she is today. I could just tell you it's just one of those situations where she came to this realization that you're right. I am stressing about this right now, and by the time my kids come back to me, if I don't fix me, I'm not going to be ready for my kids. That's right. And, and I told her, so this is a, I know this sounds terrible because you're not going to get to see your kids, and I know how hard that is. But I said, you've got to love you and find a way to do that really fast because you have a finite period of time to get yourself right and keep going on that path on your highway so that when you meet up with those kids again, you're ready to receive them in your arms and you can give them what they need. And they need you. You're their mother, you know. So it was just a powerful, um, it was a powerful probably hour and a half of my time where she broke down and she came to her senses and she understood that this is not the path that I want to be on if I'm ever going to see my kids again. Yeah. So, and I right. think it takes an army of people to truly believe that. And, and we, we have so many mental health professionals out here that they, they charge $250 an hour and then they spend the hour and then it's like, okay, goodbye, see you later. And they really just don't have that uh, social sort of holistic, genuine personality about them. I worked my whole life to be able to do this to help people. And so, darn it, if I can help people, I'm going to. And that's genuine to me. I really want to see them in a better place. The yeah. judge doesn't have the, the judge doesn't have the ability to do that. It's not that he's a bad or an evil person or that he doesn't want to help. It's that they just don't have the time, the wherewithal. They don't have the education. They don't understand. They do a job. And so that's what we're here for. And, again, I would just highlight that's what marriage and family therapy is all about, getting you the support you need, whether it be within your family system, whether it be social community support, uh, but making sure that you get into a right place. I'm not going to tell you what to do and how to do it. In fact, if, you, if I tell you, here are some resources, and you show me that you are not capable of taking them, then we move on to a different thing. But for those few people that are really going to take uh, pride in, in going out there and doing that, uh, it's a beautiful thing to see, is all I will say. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Angela, thank you so much for joining us today on Happier Note Radio. Before we go, will you please let us know how people can contact you? So I'm the owner of Bright Wisdom Therapy, and our, we have a family transitions program. And if you want to reach out to me directly, you can either call my work number, which is 785-615-6253, or you can contact me on my cell at 682-559-0006. 
And you can also visit our website at www.brightwisdomtherapy.org. Thank you so much, Angela. This is Angela Stevens, and this is Alyssa Hodges for Happier Note Radio signing off. Thank you.